everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 12, Distro Test Drives, brought to you by Elements OP Productions, elementsop.com. Today we're going to take a look at a few ways that you can try different versions of Linux distributions without hosing your existing system. Uh, Chris is sort of the king of this. I believe he, he belongs to the Distro of the Week Club, uh, and he's got a lot of experience with that sort of thing. But uh, uh, anybody, certainly who are dipping their toes into Linux for the first time, would want to find a way to do that uh, without damaging uh, their existing systems. You know, the, the try-before-you-buy mentality. So we're going to talk about some ways to do that today. Uh, but first, I'll introduce our Host to you, uh, as always, uh, the pre aforementioned Mr. Chris Neves. Say hello, Chris. Hello, everyone, from the Distro of the Week Club. <laughs> <laughs> or is it Distro of the M Minute? I think you don't always even give them a whole week, do you? Uh, it depends on how I like them. Yeah. And Mr. Seth Anderson, what are you in the chat room this week, Seth? Oh, I better get in the chat room. This Not week, even so. in the chat room. Okay. Nope. But I will try to be the real Seth. The Anderson. real Seth, one more time. And Mr. Aaron Butler, our noob in residence. Hi, Aaron. Hey, Mark. Hey, Chris. Hey, Seth. Hey, Interweb. Hey, Aaron. <laughs> okay. Hello there. All right. So uh, Chris wanted to uh, bring up some follow-ups from a couple of weeks ago on his new KDE experience. So I will just turn that over to you, to Chris. Uh, what do you got to say about it? Um, so far, the KDE experience is going quite well. Um, finding a bunch of things that I didn't know about. One of the shortcut, there's a couple of shortcuts that I found. I've now fallen in love with. Um, in GNOME, you remember I was talking about GNOME Do. They have something similar in KDE, but you don't have to install anything. It's part of the environment, and it's an Alt F2, and you get a run dialog that can automatically launch whatever you're trying to. T you know, if you start typing in the letters, and it automatically launches the program. And it has a button for a system monitor with it just right there. So that was kind of a neat little stumble upon when I was digging around through the KDE environment. Um, all overall, KDE right now is uh, beating back the GNOME interface for GNOME 3 and is also, I don't think I could go back to GNOME, even GNOME 2. Um, it start yeah things are just feeling simple again well a can of tiddlywinks and some masking tape could beat gnome 3 so that's a pretty low bar to jump over <laughs> that sounds well, like a um, it sounds like a good laxative tagline <laughs> feeling <laughs> feeling simple again <laughs> Oh wow! You went there. You actually I did. Went there. Kafunk into the. I have uh, to. Con I have to have something we to went. contribute to the show. <laughs> Uh, and next up on the docket, uh, Chris, I don't, I don't know who put this there, but uh, is Gnome 3 Doom, since we're on that t uh, topic. Who put that there? I put Seth. that there. Oh, the Seth. Okay. Yeah, uh, Linus Torvaldus, he slammed the Gnome 3 experience. Uh, there was a recent discussion on Google Plus out he was part of, and he said, um, and he joined the discussion, and this is a quote from an article I read, while you're at it, could you also fork GNOME and support the GNOME 2 environment, asking for his sane interfaces back, and nothing, and noting he has yet to meet anyone who likes the unholy mess that is GNOME 3. So, uh, what do you know, me and Linus agree, so <laughs> I'm in good company. I, somehow I think more people listen to him than you. But still, I don't think anybody's listening to him on this one. 
Well, I I don't know. You know, more more and more. I have not read many positive things about Gnome on the internet yet. I saw one story, but I didn't want to click on it because I thought it was like a malware delivery system. <laughs> so somebody praising Gnome must be suspect. I, I that's the way I see it. <laughs> or paid off. <laughs> yeah, it's. I think it's going to be good in time, but it's just it's before its time. It's too early yet. It's the vista of Linux. Well, I was reading uh, another article that also pointed to the Linus quotes, and they were talking about how GNOME tried to imitate the Apple interface and not the Apple process of solid development, and instead they just tried to imitate the interface, and that that was a big problem. It would be a big problem if they didn't correct it. So uh, I just thought it was uh, an interesting story. All right. And uh, I just wanted to talk a little bit about um, my new Nexus S, because I know that my audience likes it so much when I talk about my phone. Uh, but uh, just this last uh, week, one day only, Best Buy was having a special where uh, you could get a Nexus S for free uh, if you extend your contract. Um, but I think the reason for that is that the new Nexus 3 is due out like before Christmas. So they were clearing their, their storehouses of, of Nexus S's. But I bought, uh, both my wife and I were, uh, had expired from our contract long ago because, uh, the last couple of phones we'd bought, we had just bought, uh, off contract. So I went ahead and bought us a couple of Nexus S phones. And first, uh, uh, props to, uh, Best Buy. They got, uh, got it to us, uh, got it to me, um, I ordered Wednesday. It showed up Friday, and hers is supposed to be here um, on Monday. So, uh, fairly impressive uh, in regard to that. So, but my review of the Nexus S, which I'm holding up for the uh, zero people watching on the stream, is that it is exactly like my Nexus One, but shinier. Um, theoretically, it's got a faster processor. I don't notice it using that because my other processor was never slow. You is know? it shinier just because it's newer, or is it actually intrinsically shinier? It is intrinsically shinier. It is a shinier case. Um, it is that glossy plastic, whereas the Nexus S was uh, Nexus One was a uh, uh, flat uh, matte color. Um, it's got a, a high gloss screen. It does seem to have that oil resistant coating. I don't fingerprints don't show show up as much on the glass. Uh, theoretically, it has a much better camera, an 8-megapixel camera versus a 5-megapixel me camera. But megapixels aren't everything that there is to, to take into account with a camera. In terms of lens structure and all that, it actually seems to be pretty much the same as my existing one. So if you've got a Nexus so, 1, uh, don't rush out to buy a Nexus S. Do you still have your old phone? Uh, I have it sold, actually. Do um, I have another one. Do you want, an do you want a b offering to buy it? No, I was thought it would be kind of interesting to do a, a real world, um, you know, offline test and and boot that one back up. Do you use Verizon by any chance? No, AT and T. Okay, probably. Can do, I'm assuming you can do the same thing with AT and T. Can you uh, reactivate whatever phone you want on whatever account you want whenever you want? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so throw your old Nexus back online, download Quadrant Standard, run the benchmark on it, bring yeah, a new one up, I don't, run benchmark on it. I'm just curious to see how much the new processor really is doing. I don't really believe in, in benchmarks because people don't do what benchmarks tests on a regular basis. 
uh, people play Angry Birds and listen to podcasts and, and browse the web. They don't do all these floating point calculations that benchmarks test. Uh, I've always been a, a, you know, just to use it and see what you think. And uh, after uh, admittedly only a couple of days, I see almost no difference. And in some cases, it's actually slowed down doing things that my Nexus One didn't. You know what? What would fix that is if you ran a benchmark on it, and uh, then it would, because <laughs> then it would, it would determine for sure if it was actually faster. And then you could ignore the fact that it's actually slower. Right. When you use yeah. Because I could cling to my beliefs. Exactly. And say this is a faster phone, regardless of the fact that Angry Birds is lagging and it didn't used to. Right. Uh, but anyway, that's that's my my thought about that. So anybody else want to say anything else before we move into uh, distro test drives? I'm going to jump in with a quick warm-up, even though we've already had three, because I feel bad about trying to squeeze it in as my new discovery of the week. It's very short, very quick. Many of you know Dave Ramsey. Um, he's a financial guru guy that helps people get out of debt. So I'm just going to read this little quote from him. I'm assuming it's from him because the person that put it on there I trust, and unless they got somebody that they trusted down the line, it was somebody that didn't really do it, but I bet you he did. And it says this. If the U.S. government was a family, they would be making $58,000 a year. They spend $75,000 a year and are $327,000 in credit card debt. They're currently proposing big spending cuts to reduce their spending to $72,000 a year. These are the actual proportions of the federal budget and debt reduced to a level that we can understand. I know this is not a political or financial show, but I just thought that was kind of interesting. I am now done. Thank you. How dare you bring common sense to American politics? <laughs> is that even a possibility there, common sense to American politics? Hmm. It's a nice idea. You know, it's not common sense, or everybody would have it. It is uncommon sense. <laughs> common sense and, and common sense and politics just don't go together. It's like saying extra bacon. They just, those words don't go together. Do you have any extra unused bacon? Never. But bacon's yummy. That's the fun. Have you, I'm, you know, let's just derail the whole thing altogether. Hey, you've done that. I know I have at our house. Let's go ahead and cook this whole package of bacon and put some in the fridge or the freezer, and that way we'll have it for later. How much yeah. of it makes it to the fridge? Zero. None. There is no of such course. thing as extra bacon. You cannot have extra bacon. However much bacon you have on hand is the amount of bacon you will eat. Exactly. It's usually, and you usually want more. Yes. Yes. Is there another it's called bacon? the bacon comfort conservation principle? <laughs> the amount of bacon cooked in the house will be directly proportional to the amount of bacon eaten in the house in said day, regardless of the number of people in the house or how many uh, meals they've already eaten. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it does not matter. Bacon. All right. Unless it's a house full of vegetarians. Well, why but, would they cook it in the first? But place? frankly, I think even vegetarians love bacon. They just won't admit it. <laughs> Well, if, there's, if there's a house full of vegetarians and one meat eater, that one meat eater, meat eater will eat all of the bacon. <laughs> bacon is the vegetable <laughs> of the meat family. <laughs> so, Chris, what's your favorite way to try new Linux distributions? With bacon. Um, oh. <laughs> yeah, with bacon and pork products. Yeah, that's it. Um, no, usually I do one of two things, personally. Um, I use either a VM with VirtualBox or... I have a spare hard drive that I install it on and make sure that all my hardware works natively. Um, they seem to be the virtual box is what I use to first try everything to make sure that you know a do I like the interface or you know except for in the GNOME three debaclement. But uh, you know, like uh, my latest project is I've been playing with CrunchBang, 
And CrunchBang works pretty darn slick in my virtual box. So why why virtual box, Chris? Well, you got two questions there. Why, why virtual box uh, of all the other things that you can use to uh, uh, virtualize? Well, one, I'm cheap, <laughs> so it's free. Um, the other one, uh, the VMware and the particular ones like that, VM server and, and VM workstation and everything. Uh, workstation is a paid commercial product, and I don't feel like spending $100 for it or whatever it currently runs at. Um, and the VM server doesn't exactly give me the native performance that I was looking for under Linux. It felt a little laggy every time I ever ran it. But that was back in, you know, when they first started releasing VM server. It may be a total different cat now. Um, and then that's actually part of my discussion later. So we'll cover them right now. Um, I tried parallels. And that one worked all right, but the Windows and Linux versions aren't being developed, or at least not in active development anymore. Um, they're at version 4, which was released in 2009, and I haven't seen an update for that since. Um, the Mac version of Parallels has been under heavy development, and they're already at version 6. So. Is that a free product on the Mac? I didn't think it was. No, it's a paid version. It's right. also commercial. That's what I thought. Um, but they're cheaper than VMware. So, but there again, uh, I'm cheap and I don't want to spend money. Uh, the other one that I, I it's, it's been one of my pet projects that I've been wanting to try and I just haven't been able to give it the time to do it is the KVM ver, um, thing that's built into the Linux kernel. So it, it technically would be free and it would run, I would say, probably as good or not better than VirtualBox. Um, but it, I just haven't had a chance to give it its its due of me testing it because VirtualBox has been doing everything I need it to do so far. Uh, the main reason I started doing the second hard drive is because it, it, there's always seems to be uh, you don't seem to get native uh, touching with your your drivers. So you'd like your network card, um, you never know if your network card is going to work because in VirtualBox it gives you a fake network card. Same thing with like my graphics card. Like, uh, well, what were what version of Fedora was it? It was version thirteen. Um, that's when they dropped the support for my graphics card, which didn't show up under my VirtualBox testing because it doesn't have native support for my. You know, there's no native drivers there from that graphics card. So I started doing the second drive just because it it was like, well, I could hose my whole system and back up and restore my entire drive every time I wanted to distro hop or take the 30 seconds to, to drop my hard, the my big hard drive and put it in the small one and install clean there and play with that for a couple of days. Um, those are my two ways that I usually try different distros. They, they seem to be uh, the ones I find that work for me. All right, and then we had a second question. Aaron asked, what is CrunchBang? CrunchBang is another Linux distribution. It's uh, based on Debian, so it's it's on the unstable side of Debian. Um, they, they their little handle goes, uh, "Don't come to them crying because your computer went CrunchBang." Ah, okay. <laughs> wah, um, wah. They're also using, they're also using a version of the Linux kernel called Licorix. 
um, and I can go into more detail of that if you guys want me to. Um, I really haven't experienced, I really haven't dug into the history of it, but it's geared more towards high performance. And I can say that in the virtual box that I'm testing it in, when it was on the standard Linux kernel, it was an okay distro. But when I installed that Lickrix kernel, man, the performance was out of the, just blew my mind on how well it performed in the virtual box. So my next so test will be to... Is that optimization only within virtualized environments? Or is, no. Okay. It's, it's, it's optimized for... Um, you remember a, a while ago when they were doing, um, for recordings, they had a... Oh, I don't know what it's called, where you had to have real-time access to the hardware for, like, uh, Audacity. Right. The, um, DMA there for a access, while. I think it is. Oh, what? DMA, is that what you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. There for a while, they had a specialized kernel for people that were using um, recording software. And what they did is they took that those optimizations out and now have this generic kernel that everyone runs on. But now Liquorix is more, I would say, optimized for uh, the multi-core, that type of idea. It, it's, yeah, I, I'm trying to think of how to explain it without going too crazy, but um, it's meant for desktop workstation environments that need real-time access for everything you're doing. So if you're going to be playing games or recording or um like on my laptop with the dual core, one of the cores sit idle more more often than the other one does because most of the system isn't optimized for dual core. LiquorX fixes that. So what would you guys think about doing an entire episode where we all do a fake accent? I would not be in favor of that. Because Chris said out, and he's from Montana, not Minnesota, but it was almost an oat. If we could do that, he could do a Canadian accent. Mark, you could probably do a good Spanish accent. Seth could do a horrible Italian accent. I know you could, Seth. Seth, they're going to do the whole episode like it is. My Linux is <laughs> no work. And then I don't, I don't know what I would do. I could do any, any number of bad accents. Um, it would just Aaron, be that's, different. that's the kind of witty insight we bring you on this show for. <laughs> well, like I said, I felt like the really I really needed to contribute today, so I'm trying to up <laughs> my game a little bit. I'm trying to up in my game. <laughs> you have to do your hand. Those of you that are watching the video, you have to do yeah. your hand in the air like this when you do the fake Italian accent. I don't I know why. <laughs> That's just the rule. Maybe. Huh? It's, it's a good. Uh, so, anyway, <laughs> uh, virtual, uh, anybody else use anything other than VirtualBox? No. Yeah. yeah. VirtualBox yeah. is my VM of choice um, because it works. Um, I think what Chris said, I used to use VMware Player, and VMware Player is good, um, but it's not as good because uh, it's a player. It's not uh, to get the ability to easily create new VMs. You have to go with the VMware server, which is heavier, and you have this whole server interface, and the only way to, to interact with it is actually through a web interface on your own computer. It's a little clunky for a desktop. I think VirtualBox is built for the desktop, and that's what sets it apart. Um of course, we could talk about uh, uh, Microsoft uh, Virtual PC, but uh, we won't because we're yeah. on the show. Uh, <laughs> no, I have, I've used Windows, a Virtual PC, too, and uh, their files are bigger and the performance isn't as good as VirtualBox. 
Now, the only thing Virtual PC is good for is editing Hyper-V disk images. It works great for that, but um, that's about it. There, that's good you geek on right there. <laughs> I wrote so- up a whole article because I had to figure out a way to do it. Seth, how do you test new distributions? Well, I um, I typically, if I have a hard drive, I like to do that. If you were watching the video, that's what I was doing. I was switching one of my machines from Windows to Linux. But what I do is I partition off the hard drive, and I will just dual boot the system. And when I do that, I also create a third partition that I can save data to in NTFS, so that way, you know, when I'm downloading stuff or whatever, my Windows partition will be able to access it. And that is super easy to do in Linux. I normally do Puppy, even like if I'm going to install Ubuntu or something, I will make the partitions in Puppy, which uses Gparted, and then um, install it, and it automatically configures the bootloader, and I just choose what I want when the computer starts, and then I'm free to experiment. And that gives you full native performance. You are actually running it on your hardware without the virtualization layer in between. So if there's any driver issues like Chris was talking about, you see that because it's it's directly accessing your hardware. There's nothing in between it. You have booted directly into the OS. Um, and the drawback is if you needed to do something in Windows, you have to restart your computer. So you get faster Linux access, but it makes it harder if you something Linux can't do that you need Windows for. Right. You can't run them both at the same time, which is the beauty of virtualization. Any other thoughts on that, guys? Well, I used to do dual booting. Um, but like you said, every time you want to switch, you have to reboot, and it just seemed to be clunky for me um, since I spend 90% of my time in Linux, and I would say not even – I would say like 98% of my time in Linux. And – it, it, for the little bit I ever used Windows for it, dual part the dual partitioning just didn't it, it didn't make sense for me. Um, yeah, and VMware w- works much better. And Windows doesn't like to be multi-homed or multi-partitioned. It has to be sector zero. You, you have to put Windows on first and then everything else. So, like, what if you're talking about like Chris does? If you live in Linux and on, only occasionally want to run Windows. Um, then your your hard drive is really not optimized for that setup because you've got your first part of your hard drive running Windows that you never use, and the rest of it uh, running Linux, which I don't think is really a big deal. But you know, if you're super anal retentive, like you know some people I might know, um, then that uh, that could be a, a consideration. Uh, but you know, while we're talking about this, is not just trying out different distributions for well, Windows users. For me, users. I, the dual boot worked great. Oh, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, it's not just if you're a Windows user wanting to try out Linux distributions, but this also works virtualization or dual booting, whatever, if you're a Linux user who wants to try different Linux user uh, variations or who wants to get to Windows. You know, there's the the processes that we're talking about aren't just for trying out distributions, even though that's the title of the show. All right, Seth, go ahead. I was going to say, in a previous job I had, I did not have a work supplied laptop and so i used my little netbook and virtualization on a netbook i wasn't even going to try it so when i was at work i booted into windows and then like when i was done with work and i was at home i would just boot into yeah i used um ubuntu netbook remix and so that that was it worked great because it allowed me to have two computers only carrying one around two computers in one case Uh, Another thing I mentioned, um, this is only for Windows users, 
and I don't really recommend it, but I thought I'd mention it because it's out there. It's called Wubi, W-U-B-I. Uh, and it's designed for installing Linux, but you can, uh, or uh, Ubuntu, excuse me. It's designed for installing Ubuntu, but you can do other um, distributions uh, of Linux as well uh, inside Windows. So it's actually a Windows app that runs on XP or Vista or 7 and runs Linux. Uh, so it shows up in your task manager and, and you can close it, you know, uh, shows up in your start bar, you can close it with a task manager. You, it, it's a Windows app running Linux. The performance isn't nearly as good as, um, virtualization and, or certainly not as good as, um, dual booting. Um, but it, it, it works. Um, I wouldn't want to do any heavy graphics editing in it, but, uh, I have done office documents and things like that, uh, fairly, uh, commonly in it. And it's just a handy way to really dip your toe into the Linux world, uh, in the most non-intrusive way pro- possible. Any of you guys have any experience with that? Not I. I tried it I've once. heard of it. I've heard of it, but never actually used it. I, I knew that was one of my options, but I haven't gone that way. I've used the dual boot method myself. See, I used it once, and I was playing with it mainly because I saw a forum post over on the Ubuntu site um, saying that if you were trying to upgrade to, uh, I don't remember what version number they were now, um, but it would break, and you had to have this special way of upgrading from one version to the next if you wanted to keep your your uh, Wooby install. So um, it was just one of those things I tried just to see what the issue was in case I ever ran into it personally. And the next thing that I had on my list is Sigwin, which is the super geeky way to run <laughs> Linux apps under Windows. Um, that's, uh, help me describe it, Chris. It's, it's, you're putting essentially all the Linux APIs on a Windows machine. I mean, it's much more true to actually running Linux under Windows than Wubi or, or the other systems. It works yeah. It works really well once you get it going. It's it's finicky to set up and it's geeky, but uh, just to give you an example, um, uh, when I back up at work my Windows machines, uh, Windows is pretty dumb about incremental backups. Like if you've got a five gig file and one one meg of it changes, Windows makes you back up the entire five gig file. Um, but I used uh, on the Linux side, there's something called rsync, which does the incremental backups natively, does them really well. So I set up Sigwin so that I could run rsync on my Windows machine to be able to back it up. Uh, that's just an example of why you might want to do that. And that is pretty darn geeky. Yeah, but but it, <laughs> well, it, it works. It works really well. Their website says, Sigwin is a collection of tools which provide a Linux look and feel environment for Windows, because everybody wants that. And it's also <laughs> a DLL, which acts as a Linux API layer, providing substantial Linux API functionality. But it is not a way to run native, native Linux apps on Windows. You must rebuild your application from source if you want to do that. Right, so... And it's not a way to magically make native window apps aware of Unix functionality. It's Sigwin is to Windows as Wine is to Linux. I was just going to say that, Mark. So wow, it's we're the, all thinking the same thing. <laughs> it's the I was thinking about bacon. <laughs> I'm sure you were, Aaron. Do you have any bacon? Do you have any extra bacon you can spare? No such, no such thing. 
Hey, you know, backing up a little bit and talking about a second hard drive, one thing we did not mention is that second hard drive could be a USB stick. So you don't have to carry around, you know, a bunch of different hard drives. Um, you could just carry around a collection of USB sticks with each with your you could have your um, Ubuntu stick, your puppy stick, your uh, KDE whatever you know you wanted to uh, so that would be another way of doing it on another hard drive Sorry, or go visit our friends over at pendrivelinux.com and use their universal installer and it'll let you put as many Linux distributions as your system can hold if you've got a 64-bit pen drive you can put 10 different Linux distros on it and boot up from them uh, on command now booting them off the thumb drive like that does that give you just as good testing of your your hardware functionality, Chris, as it does installing it on a hard drive and doing it, it should, um, okay. because you're accessing it. The your your the install is actually reading your drivers on the fly for that for that particular machine. So yeah, the, then it should be almost native. Yeah, the that's only just thing like that, using a, a solid state hard drive. Right. Well, it, yeah. no, solid state hard drive performs a lot better. No, but than I'm saying flash drive. I'm, I'm yeah, I understand that, but I'm saying as far as the the way the um, it wouldn't give you the same performance, but whether your drivers worked or didn't work for your sound card or your video or whatever, right? that should be the same difference. Yeah, and really the only difference would be performance. It would be like using a really slow hard drive. Yeah. Um, but even today, really slow hard drives are pretty fast. Uh, USB yeah. 2.0 is, uh, what, uh, 100 megabits or something like that? I forget. Uh, but it's it's pretty pretty quick. It's, it's equal to a SATA drive, more right. or less. But, 3.0 uh, is even faster. Yeah, 3.0 is several gigs. Six, six gigs, if I remember yeah, right. It's it's, and I expect 4.0 will be faster yet once they create it. You think? No, they might make it slower. That might be a new trend. <laughs> see, Seth's doing the hand, even though he's not doing the accent. Do you see it? They might make it slower, even. <laughs> yeah, uh, USB 3 is out there. My uh, last several laptops I've bought uh, uh, for the school have had that on it, uh, but there aren't a lot of peripherals that do it yet. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's faster than SCSI. It's it's going to be uh, faster than FireWire. It's, it's the fastest way to hook up a peripheral ever made so far. Well, but there's a just, lot of backwards compatibility issues with plugging non-USB three stuff into three drives. I haven't always haven't experienced that. Just don't do it. Um, let, me, let me bring some geek stuff to the show instead of only color commentary. Um, we actually have our main SQL server at my office that. It, host the application that I mainly support right now. It's about a 2.8 terabyte um, SQL server database. And to improve performance, we actually moved the temp um, files to a, uh, to a um, solid state hard drive to um, an attempt to get performance. So you have zero seek time on those temp files. So you're caching directories and, and those things. Yep. Did I can't work? tell any difference. <laughs> I can't tell any difference. It's just like the Nexus S. It's shinier. The drive we put in was shinier. But no, we actually did a lot more money. Yeah, we put it on our report server. They they recently have come out with some models that the price is about thirty percent of what they used to be like a year ago. So we threw one of those in. Um, it's actually our report server, which is a copy of that other database, because that just gets hammered around the first of the month when they do all their end of month reporting in an attempt to try to increase that that performance and it. I guess it's better. Um, it wasn't super appreciable, appreciably different, but anyway. Is it doing lots of reads and writes or just reads? It's both. Um, 
what it does is the way the reporting works, it builds temporary tables. Um, so where that temporary data is being stored is where this drive is, what this drive is hosting. And then it reads back from the temporary tables and does further computation. So it'll, you know, pull every encounter for every patient into a table and then jam it all together and compress it all together and then say, yes, one patient was there. I'm I'm interested to hear how that lives because, uh, uh, Solid State has a finite number of rights available to it, and you sound like you're thrashing it pretty good. I'm I'm interested to see if it fails after only a few months. Yeah, um, I don't know. We'll find out. We do thrash it pretty good. We, um, at the end of month reporting is pretty uh pretty intensive. Yeah. SSD is a great technology. Um, in theory, uh, I question its practicality. Um, in the real world. The idea of writing to at near light speed is great. It's fast, but uh, you have that that whole finite issue, whereas magnetic media can be written almost infinitely. Um, and while you have a great speed, oftentimes the the interface to that disk is slower than the disk itself. Right. So you're it's, writing it, it over standard IDE, even though it's a thousand times faster than IDE. Yeah. And since it's approaching the speed of light when you're riding it, that means that it's aging slower than the person that's actually working <laughs> on the data. And so they end up, by the time it comes back, the data's kind of new. It doesn't know what to do. And Sorry, I'm reading a book about sci-fi book with a lot of uh, near light, near sea travel speeds and stuff in it. So it's kind Can of Can somebody get us back on track? Anybody? Anybody? Uh, so what other ways do they be testing? Only if <laughs> I'm going to change the title of this episode to the bacon episode. <laughs> episode 12, bacon. But bacon's good for you. It is. Okay. In the sense that pleasure is good, I guess. Yeah. You can live off of it. It's got nutrients. It's got the nutrients. So, Chris, you mentioned Parallels uh, earlier. I was not aware that there was a Linux or Mac version of Parallels. You said it's not supported. How old is that? support i mean is it old or just recent well the uh the version of parallels that um let's see the i'll pull up their site really quick they're in their downloads page they do have a listing for mac and a windows and linux version um parallels is currently at version six for the macintosh but if you look under the macintosh or the the parallels for the desktop it's parallels four and then when you dig into it a little bit deeper, it says build 6630 of desktop Parallels Desktop 4 for Windows and Linux. I'm glad it wasn't then, 666. Then all the fundamentalists <laughs> couldn't use it. But uh, if, if it's they're not very big files either. I mean, like the Windows version is only 10 megs and the Linux version is 13. So they're not a very big program. I, I hear Mac users... Um, often seeing the praises of parallels, and I often wonder if it's because they just don't know anything else. Uh, that maybe if they got a hold of VirtualBox, they would realize that parallels isn't that great, or maybe parallels really is that great. I didn't know it existed outside of the the Mac world. Um, well, since uh, in the background you can see I got a Mac sitting back there that I've been working on in my shop, and they have parallels on it, and it's running on there. They're running version five. And, you know, in comparison for performance, uh, Parallels works just about as good as a VirtualBox does, as far as I can tell. But one thing I did notice is, like, their tools that they install 
are, you know, like how you have to install vir- VM or the VirtualBox tools, right? Or the guest editions, I think is what they call it, right? Um, their install of the tools is super. I mean, it, it's literally click done. There is no waiting for things to download. Like if you install from the repositories for Linux, you have to or you have to download them separate. Um, these are all bundled together, and it's literally click the button, hit two buttons, and then the the tools are in, and they have the same modes of use as um, VirtualBox does and as VMware. Uh, the seamless mode, they call it something else. Uh, the windowed mode and the full screen mode, and they all work um, very much the same. But uh, the uh, the connection, or the not the connection, but the uh, the overall speed of the like the Windows install that they have on this back, it works like uh, it almost seems native for the speed. So hmm. I wonder if there might not be some optimization for the Mac that they're that they're taking control. Know, for it to make the that performance that much better, and so since uh, both Mac OS and Linux share their Unix heritage, I wonder if you might see some more performance uh, in in the Linux side. Uh, that don't I don't know. know. I haven't, like I said, I haven't tried Parallels in a long time. But I would almost bet 2009. Yeah, it's about the time I tried Parallels last, so it might have been the same version. So tell us about KVM. You've got that in the notes there. You mentioned it earlier. I literally, the only thing I know about KVM is that it exists. Um, what, what can you tell us about it? Well, um, I'm still pretty new about the KVM thing. Um, I know it's been around, and it it's na- it's built into the kernel. So that way, there is no add-ins. You know, like when you install VirtualBox or VMware, you have to install the module into the kernel. Right. That isn't there. So... There, that that module doesn't have to be rebuilt every time a kernel upgrade is done. It's it's already there. Um, yeah, as uh, that's about all I know off of it, off the top of my head. As far I, as performance wise, I couldn't tell you. Have you used it? Uh, is there a GUI interface, and you create disks and the whole sort of thing, or or there is a GUI interface, um, and that's from limited playing with here. I'm I'm just barely scratching the surface. The KVM. Um, there is a, a there is a, a virtual or a, a graphical interface to use. A lot of the tools are also command line based. Um, but yeah, as far as uh, the performance and native support for anything, I, I'm I'm in the dark here. I, I haven't quite played with it enough yet to even give you any help on that. Everyday Linux, where people who don't know what they're talking about talk about it anyway. <laughs> Brought to you by Element OP Productions. Um, I know everything bacon. there is to know about bacon. They're white meat. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Tell us. Go. Ready? Go. It's awesome. Okay. That really is all you need to know about bacon. It's bacon. called the other white meat. <laughs> Something like that. Okay, guys, any other thoughts on uh, virtualization before we wrap up this train wreck? No, nope. I'm good. Okay, Mr. Command Line Godfather, what is your command line of the week? The command line tip of the week is a program called Tail, and it's really good for looking at a log file. 
because most of the time log files are ginormous in size and I don't know about you guys, but I don't like rooting through 16 pages of log files when you're looking for the last three occurrences. Tail will give you just the end of uh, whatever file you send it to. And if you use the F switch, so it would be tail space hyphen F, and then the location of the file that you want to watch, it'll automatically upgrade or update that view inside your terminal. So that way, if you're looking at, the, say, an access log, you can see those logs as they in real time as they occur. Yeah, uh, tail is one of those things that you'll see listed in every forum. When somebody asks you, you know, somebody asks a question, the answer is always tail this and tell me what it says. Yep. Okay. It's a whole lot so easier just to, to look at tail, tail than it is to open up the whole file. Tail it and then tail me what it oh, says. Oh, wow. That's what, that's what they would say in East Texas. I don't know about <laughs> where you guys are, but. Speaking of East Texas, what's the temperature where you are, Aaron? Uh, it's actually not too bad right now. We had kind of a little storm front come through. Um, so, and speaking of East Texas, I'm not in East Texas. Right. Those you're that in I don't East, know. You're in Georgia. I'm in actually kind of, kind of central, northern central Georgia. Um, I think I'm going to look right now. It is 86. Yeah. What about you, Chris? Uh, I think we're at probably just under 75. Seth, I'm sure you're you're comparable to me. It's uh, 102 right now on my front porch at 8 p.m. I know it's hot. So <laughs> it's 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 crazy that this doesn't have anything to do with anything. But I thought I'd put it out there. I was looking at a map um, earlier this week of like the heat, and there was this one area of pink, which was like the hottest on the planet right now and it was situated right over my hometown <laughs> um, and it was just we this is the hottest for dallas texas and in this area uh is the hottest uh temperatures ever since we started keeping records um i forget well, i think it was 117 was the official at dfw airport well i pulled up the weather just while we were sitting there chatting and um it says tomorrow mark is going to be 107 in commerce and uh, it says down at the bottom in the little notes, sunny, <laughs> sunny skies, very hot. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Thanks for that elaboration there. <laughs> 107 is actually a break from the heat. Yeah. That's actually not bad. I just uh, think that's funny. It's like, um, like I think you mentioned on another podcast one time about um, people complain in the summer about the heat. And right. in the winter, they complain about the cold. Right. And they're surprised every time that it happens. Amazing. It's hot in July. Uh, <laughs> Seth, what is our end user tip of the week this week? Well, my uh, end user tip is all about fun stuff. So, you know, let's face it, regardless of what OS you're running, you want to be able to play games and not just crummy little free cell solitaire and mahjong clones. Uh, so I found a website and we'll put it in the show notes. It is called the uh, 100 best free and high quality Linux games. And there's some really cool, nice looking. I mean, I just, I, test row some of them just for a little bit and the graphics are really good and you know there's some shooter type games some strategy type games um urban terror alien arena uh and even a wolfenstein and now some of them might not work on all the different versions of linux that are out there but with that uh, list of 100 i'm sure you can find a couple that you like and also, I believe it was Chris, I had never heard of this, called the Humble Indie Bundle, where you can buy games for much cheaper 
um, pretty low cost price and they look pretty cool and you get some benefits to go along with them sometime. So yeah, Chris, tell us about that. Uh, that's there on version three, I think now. Uh, yes, they are. And it's, uh, and they're, go ahead. Okay. I was going to say, yeah, they're on version three of this, of the, the humble bundle. What it is. And by the time the show comes out there, the, this particular bundle will be expired. So, which is kind of sad because no one can take advantage of it that listens to the show. But uh, it's a bundle of games that are done by indie designers that um, they set up some sort of uh, set up with them, and it's a charitable donation as well as giving people these high quality games for you know literally nothing. I mean, you can spend whatever you want on it and get these games. Um, this one has a couple of them that are, are fairly new. Um, I don't particularly, I didn't buy this humble, this bundle because I didn't play the type of games that are on this, this one I didn't play. But I did buy one with like the World of Goo. And, oh, there was a, a few of them. I can't remember all of them that I got because they also release them through the Steam delivery system. So that, right. that way you don't have to just download from them. Um, this particular bundle, They've received. They. I'd have to look them up to see exactly how much they've um, acquired so far. But I think they're at over a million dollars. Has it was over a million the first week, and now it's like one point eight. Yeah, and uh, a a portion of that goes to. Oh, I know it's Electronic Frontier Fund or Freedom Foundation, and I is it Child's Play, Seth? Do you remember? Uh, child's play and EFF. You you can kind of you can choose how to split your um split on whenever you go and do it on the website. Uh, you can do the game bundle EFF, child's play, and then you can kind of tip the developers. Yep. Well, some of it goes to the developers, some of it goes to um the EFF, and some of it goes to child play, and some of it you can say goes to humble. Uh, they're a great bunch of guys. The last time, the last two times I because per- I purchased the humble indie bundle one and two, um, the guys are really nice to deal with. If you have a problem or if you you lose your download links, uh, they're really quick about getting a hold of you. If you you know send an email saying hey I lost my links, they'll send you another one real quick. Um, they're, they're just a bunch of nice guys and they're supporting people that really need the support. You know the EFF and Child's Play, two great charitable do- charitable places that need every penny that we can send them good stuff i had planned to at some point do a top a uh, show topic on gaming in linux uh trouble is i'm not a big gamer and i don't really know anything about the games that are available in linux so this is where i will appeal to our listeners uh if you are a gamer and a linux user uh let us know find uh, let, let us know how what games are out there, and, and uh, what are some good ones, so that we can uh, spread uh, share share that. Wow, my tang got all tangled up. Um, and uh, you can do that over on our forums at uh, elementop.com. Uh, go there to the Everyday Linux forums and let us know, or you can send an email to the group at edl at elementop.com uh, and. Uh, let us know what you think. Uh, if there's some uh, good games out there we need to check out, or if you have other topics for shows, things that you want to know, uh, let us know. Uh, guys, anything else before we say goodbye? No, I think I'm good. Aaron, did you want to shout out your link for your noob discovery of the week? 
Sure, it's a simple little discovery. I was actually Googling Linux noob discoveries, trying to find, you know, what kind of things are out there for the average casual beginning user. And I stumbled across this website, and it was funny because it has a lot of the topics and things that I've asked over the last few weeks. So if you're listening to this show, and it's the first time you've ever heard of Linux or don't know anything about Linux, and you missed me asking all these questions over the last few weeks, A, go back and, re- and download all of our other episodes immediately. Stop right now and do that. We'll wait. Okay, now that you're back, um, I'm assuming you paused me, then uh, go to this website and you can see some of the answers to some of the questions. And it's got some pretty interesting stuff in there. Have you, are you guys familiar with the, uh, uh, what's it called, the, the Guru Plug? Gubra Plug? The, uh, no, doesn't sound familiar. Um, let, me, let me pull it up here real quick. Uh, we can talk about this later if you want. It's the Guru Plug. Or Shiva plug, either one of those. No. Nope. World's smallest Linux box. It's about the size of a of a wall wart for an adapter for a laptop. Sounds it's got cool. a, a USB plug and an Ethernet plug, and um, it's a little tiny computer about the size of the palm of your hand if your hand is much smaller than mine. I have heard about. It. Is that an ARM processor in that? I believe so. Yeah, I, I think I. It's remember. an ARM compatible processor. ARM compatible. Well, I don't even know what that means. <laughs> That's uh, like a Mr. Furious on Mystery Men. You drive a Harley. It's a, it's a Harley. Harley compatible. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's it. Okay. Uh, Linux. Linux-noob.com, just like it sounds. Unless okay. you don't know how to spell noob. <laughs> and yeah, well, noob is a word of many spellings. Any yeah. W B or uh, N O O B, but anyway, which is the which is the choice here? It'll be in the show notes, I'm right. sure. All right, so uh, I guess that uh, will wrap us up there. If there's no other comments, we will just say goodbye, and that will end this episode of Everyday Linux. Mm-hmm.